Andrew Womack Ministries presents part four in the How to Follow God's Will series, a five-part album. This message is titled, Follow the Peace. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to the book of Colossians chapter three. I've been teaching on how to follow God's will and Man, I think that there have been some powerful, powerful things said. I believe that people's lives are being impacted. And I believe that there's going to be lots of people that will never be the same after this weekend. Amen. I really believe that. You know, one of the songs that Charlie and Jill were singing this morning, I forget right now which one it was. But anyway, it was just, I was getting something about you need to appreciate what God has done. Be thankful for what he has done. And as I was sitting there singing that song... I was thinking about this week. And you know, we need to appreciate what God has done. God's been here. These testimonies that Melinda was giving, people have been healed. The presence of the Lord is here. People's lives are being changed. And sometimes we don't really appreciate what a miracle it is, but there are people's lives being changed. This has been a special week. I believe God has been here moving and touching people. It's been awesome. And anyway, I've been talking about how to follow God's will. We've talked and used Moses as an example. I want to share with you now one of the most important things that God ever showed me about this. And I laugh because everything I teach is one of the most important things that God has ever shown me. <laughs> but you know what? That's all I do is teach the real fundamental things. I only teach the real basics. I don't go into anything strange. This is one of the most important things. God... Use these verses to change my life. I had an encounter with the Lord, March the 23rd, 1968. And in April of 68, 42 years ago, God gave me these verses, gave me one of the most important things I've ever learned from the Lord. This is 42 years I've been walking in this. And this has become one of the most foundational truths that God has used in my life. And I have used this thousands of times. I'm still using it today. This is something that has become a major deal in my life. And let me just set this up by saying that I was 18 years old. I had this experience with the Lord where God just poured His love out in my life. And for four and a half months, I was gone someplace, caught up in the presence of God. I knew that God loved me. And I immediately lost my desire for anything except God and whatever God wanted me to do. This goes along with what I taught on Thursday night about delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And immediately my heart just began to desire God and desire the things of God. And I lost all interest in school. And I had a horse that I rode every day of my life. I'd been doing this for a couple of years. We bought this horse when I was in high school. And I rode that horse every day of my life. If it rained or snowed or whatever, that horse was just a focal point of my life. And it was four and a half months later before I even thought about that horse. I didn't know if that horse was alive, if anybody had taken care of it. I just forgot everything. I fell in love with God. And immediately my desires changed. I lost my desire for a secular education and becoming a math teacher like everybody else in my family. Everybody in my family except one uncle was a school teacher. And he was married to a school teacher. <laughs> everybody in my family has always been a school teacher. And I lost my desire for all of that. And so... Uh, you know, I was just excited about the Lord and I wasn't anticipating or thinking about what, um, 
response I'd get from people. I thought everybody would be thrilled that I loved God. I was just shocked. I thought everybody would be just happy for me that I really had this encounter with the Lord. And to my surprise, man, I mean, they came out of the woodwork to criticize me and to tell me I was of the devil and all of these things. And so anyway, one of the very first things that happened was I just lost all of my desire to go to school. So I just in passing told my mother I was in college, first year of college. And I just told my mother, I said, you know what, I'm going to quit college. And boy, my mother just exploded. You can't do this. My mother sicked a number of Baptist pastors on me that started telling me that you're of the devil and this is the devil. And I mean, here I was, I was, I'd been born again since I was eight years old, but this was the first time I'd ever really begin to start seeking the Lord and having a lot of interaction with the Lord. And I was young at it. And here were these people that were professionals. I mean, they'd been to seminary. They had been through all of this schooling and they were telling me that I was of the devil. And at first it just rocked me back on my heels and I, and it took away my confidence. And one of my, my youth director, uh, he came to me and he says, your mother doesn't want you to do this. And so as long as you're living at home, you need to obey your mother. And you know what? I decided, well, that makes sense. And so I decided to put that on the shelf. And so for about two months, I continued to go to school, but I hated it. I mean, I hated it with the passion. I don't have the words to communicate to you how I hated going to school. And I know some of you think I'm making fun of this, but I'm serious. This was, I hated going to school. I didn't just not desire to go to school. I hated going to school. And prior to that time, I had loved going to school. And God just changed my heart. But I wasn't sure about things. And because my mother was upset over this and every spiritual person, there was only two people on the planet that I knew that didn't condemn me. And that was Joe Nay and Steve Mark, this good friend of mine. And they were the only people that didn't think I was crazy. Every other person on the planet thought I was crazy. And there was reasons for it because back during this time in 1968, I had a deferment from the draft if I stayed in school. So I was uh, deferred from the draft if I stayed in school. I was getting $350 a month from the government. My father's Social Security, he died when I was 12 years old. And if I stayed in school, I got $350 a month, which in 1968 was quite a bit of money. I was living at home. Everything was good. But if I quit school, I got drafted. I got sent to Vietnam. I lost this money. I could lose my life. And so there was just a lot of people telling me that this is crazy. And uh, so because of that, I didn't do what I felt like doing. But man, I was miserable. On one hand, I was caught up in the presence of the Lord. It was wonderful. I was having a great time. But I mean, when I went to class, it was the pits. Of course, the truth is I honestly never made it to class. I would go to college every day. But I'd get there 10 minutes early and I'd start witnessing to somebody and telling them about Jesus. And then, you know, it'd go past the time I was supposed to go to class. And I couldn't go to class and let this person die and go to hell. So I'd keep talking to them. And by the time I got through talking with them, I'd already missed 15 minutes of the class. And so I'd start talking to somebody else. And by the time the next bell rang, I was talking to somebody else. So I went to class every day and I think I might have made it into class two or three times. But uh, anyway, it was just terrible. I hated it. And 
I was just, uh, you know, going through the motions and doing something that I didn't feel like in my heart. And anyway, in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 23, let me just turn over and read this verse to you. What we would typically do, I would get together with these two friends of mine and we would sit around and study the word until two or three o'clock in the morning. And we would just talk about the Lord and pray. And anyway, we, we, we were just reading through scripture. And even though I read the Bible a number of times when I was a kid, I hadn't read it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't alive to me. And it was like the Bible was brand new. And as we studied the word, man, we would be reading things and it had just come alive. And I read this verse that night. It was about the end of April or could have been the first part of May 1968. And it says, he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you aren't in faith concerning school. You don't want to go. You don't think I want you to go. And yet you're staying there because of the criticism of other people. And so you aren't in faith. You're living in sin. Boy, I had never seen that before. That was a revelation to me that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. He's, the Lord told me, he says, you would be better to get into school and stay there believing that's my will or to get out of school and face whatever consequences believing that's my will. But for you to be doing something that you don't have confidence in, that it's God's will, you're in sin. And man, that really shook me. And I remember we would stay up until two or three o'clock every night visiting and fellowshipping. It was about eight o'clock or maybe nine o'clock at night. And I told my friends, I said, I'm going home. I said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to make a decision and I am not going to be living in sin tomorrow. I'm going to do something in faith. I'm going to get in or out of school in faith. I don't care if it hair lips the devil. I am going to do, I'm going to make a decision and commit myself one way or the other. So I went home that evening and I started praying and I said, Father, I'm in, I'm in, I'm not in faith. I'm in sin. I don't want to go to school. I don't think this is your will, but everybody else says that I'm missing you and that this is sin and everything else. And so what do I do? And so I determined that before I went to bed that night, I was going to have a word from God and make a decision on which direction my life should go. And I didn't know how to do it. I just knew that I had to make it. And I prayed and I sought the Lord and I was asking God and the Lord led me over here to Colossians chapter 3. And as I was studying the word at night and praying and asking God for a direction, it says in verse 15, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you were called in one body and be ye thankful. And when I read that, it's just like this verse jumped off the page. God spoke it to me. And he, and he said, you let the peace of God rule. I went and looked up the word rule in the Greek, what it means. And it means to govern. To arbitrate. And as you trace that word, the root word that was used, that was translated rule right here is the exact same word we get the word umpire from. As a matter of fact, the uh, Amplified Bible and, and the Weiss translation translate this. You know, let the word of God umpire in your life. And when I saw that, that really gave some direction to me because just, you know, like in baseball, you throw the ball and that umpire at home plate, he doesn't just sit there and look at it and think about it and say, I'm not sure what that was. 
do-over, or let's not count this one. You know, that's not the way that an umpire does. An umpire, it just, you just have to make a decision. And once you say that it's a ball or it's a strike or however you call it, you have to stick with it. And it doesn't matter if you were wrong. You just make a decision. You let the peace of God umpire, rule, govern, arbitrate in your life. And the Lord spoke to me and says, this is how you can tell what my will for your life is, is what do you have the most peace about? And to be honest with you, when I was trying to make this decision about getting in or out of school, I didn't have total peace about either decision. Because if I stayed in school, I had zero peace about that. I hated school. Had I said that before that I hated school? I hated going to school. I had zero peace about going to school. But when I considered getting out of school, and see, this is how you kind of make your decisions you consider your options and then you let your imagination think about what's going to happen if I do this? Where is this going to lead me? And as I thought about it, there was a very good chance that I'd get drafted. I'd get sent to Vietnam, which I wasn't excited about going to Vietnam. I didn't sign up. I didn't volunteer. Amen. I got drafted. I wasn't going to jump ship and go to Canada and, you know, do that. But I wasn't all gung-ho about going to Vietnam. and I, So anyway, I didn't particularly want to go to Vietnam. But every time I thought about quitting school and getting drafted and going to Vietnam, losing the government support, losing the approval of my mother, who my dad died when I was 12 years old, and my mother and I were really close. And man, I didn't want to disappoint my mother. I didn't. Every person I knew, every spiritual person in my life told me that that was the devil. That I was missing God. I mean, I went and talked to old uh, teachers. I went and talked to pastors. I went and talked to youth leaders. I went and talked to people who were spiritual people in my church that I thought of. And without exception, every person told me I was missing God. And so when I sat down and thought about quitting school, I thought about the rejection of people, the criticism of people, getting drafted, losing money. There was just a lot of things and I didn't have peace that direction. And so I honestly didn't have total peace in any direction. And I was trying to let the peace of God rule in my heart. And I didn't know this at this time, but you know, the scripture says in Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23, it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Every one of us in your spirit have peace, love, joy, and peace. It's always there. It's always there. You don't always feel peace, but it's because you aren't always in the spirit. We get caught up in our emotions and we get caught up in our mind and thinking. But if you can quiet yourself, your spirit always, always has love, joy, peace. And all you've got to do is get to where you shut off all of the things that dominate us from the outside and focus until you get in the spirit. And then you follow the peace that's in your spirit. It's always there. Sometimes you feel like God isn't speaking to you, but the truth is He's always speaking to you. But He may not be speaking in words. He may just be giving you impressions. He may be giving you a sense of peace or a sense of dread. You know, the flip side of this is that since I've learned this principle, I let the peace of God rule in my heart. And if I don't feel peace about doing something, I don't do it. 
For instance, I was moving my mother from Texas to Colorado to go to work for me. And I was driving a uh, U-Haul truck. And I was slated to go back to Costa Rica. I had been there before and ministered in a Bible school. And we had a tremendous response. And man, it was so good. They invited me back. So I already had it scheduled. I already had my plane tickets bought. I was on my way to Costa Rica. And as I drove her U-Haul truck up to Colorado, I was praying about going to Costa Rica. And all of a sudden, I lost my desire to go. It had been fun before. We took our kids with us. It was great. We saw great things happen. And I was excited about going back. But as I prayed about it, I lost my desire to go back to Costa Rica. My desires just changed like that. And so, like I was teaching on Thursday night, you got to make sure you're delighting yourself in the Lord and that it's not just your your mind is off of the Lord and you're listening to the wrong source or something. So what I did during 17 hours driving that truck, I prayed in tongues for 17 hours. And I just worshiped the Lord and praised God. And the more into the presence of God, the more I got my mind stayed on God, the less I wanted to go to Costa Rica. And so I was just convinced after a while that I delight myself in the Lord. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to go to Costa Rica. I used this scripture. I let the peace of God rule in my heart. I had zero peace about going to Costa Rica. So I called them up and canceled my meeting just a week or two out or a month. I'm not sure, but it was a short period of time. And these people got upset and they said, we've already advertised it. We've got people coming. We've made plans. We've got you scheduled. You can't cancel. And I said, well, I'm canceling. And they said, why? And I said, I don't have a reason. I just don't want to go. I don't feel peace about going. And of course, that's not a very spiritual answer. And they took offense. And they got mad at me. And you know, they've never invited me back to Costa Rica. They've never had me back. Never been back. That was back about 1980, 81 or something like that. I've never been back to Costa Rica. But did you know what happened? I just canceled the flight that I was scheduled on when it took off from Mexico City, headed to Costa Rica. It crashed and killed 169 people on board. And you know how God spoke to me and told me not to go? I just lost my peace. He changed the desires of my heart and I decided not to go based on letting the peace of God rule in my heart. You know, one of the ways that I started learning this is when I was pastoring in Pritchett, Colorado, I came in there and we saw a man raised from the dead. And so because of that, this little church of 10 people wanted me to come. And anyway, I gave that testimony and, um, So I went to Pritchett, Colorado, and I fell in love with the people, but not all of them fell in love with me. And man, I started getting lots of criticism. I started having a lot of opposition. People saying I was drinking, uh, committing adultery, uh, doing drugs, stealing money from the church. I didn't even take a salary from the church, but they accused me of anything and everything. And anyway, the church uh, blossomed from 10 people to 100 people in the church of a town of 144 people. And we were having a big impact and and it was making a difference. And so the few people who were in leadership in that church before I came, they said they were custom combiners and they left on the harvest and were gone for six months out of the year. And it was coming time that they were going to start following the wheat harvest. And they said, we need to uh, uh, have a new elder that will be here while you're here to help run the church with all of these new people come in. So anyway, I agreed and they wanted to put this one guy into leadership. And this guy is the only person in the church 
who embraced Jamie and me when we came. Everybody else thought we were weird. These people thought we were great. We went over to their house. They were in their 60s at the time. We were probably 30. Everything looked good. They were excited about what we were teaching. There wasn't a single reason not to have him as an elder. But in my heart, I did not feel peace. And I told those other guys, I said, no, I don't want him as an elder. I just don't feel good about it. And so they said, well, why not? Tell us what's wrong with him. And I said, I don't know anything wrong with him. They said, he loves your teaching. And I said, I know he does. He's, he's heard all of this stuff. He supported you. He does. And I said, I know everything's good, but I just don't feel good about it. And they shamed me into making him an elder. And I said, all right, all right. So anyway, we made him an elder. Did you know that they left on wheat harvest? And within a week, this man turned into the devil personified. He started telling people I was a liar, a thief. He accused me of anything and everything. He tried to take over the church. And he was actually going to stand up one morning while I was preaching and stand up and kick me out of my own church. And anyway, I've got a tape entitled Respect of Persons that I preached when I saw him coming down the aisle heading, heading for the front. I've still got that tape. And I got up and preached on it and it, it uh, just backed him down. He sat down. But boy, we started butting heads and we had nothing but problems. It was terrible. And you know what? When that happened, I said, I knew in my heart that I shouldn't have put that guy in. I didn't feel peace about it, but I went with logic instead of what I felt in my heart. And when that happened, I decided, bless God, I'm not doing this again. And to the best of my ability, I haven't done it. I'm sure I've missed it, but I'm saying to, to my best of my ability, I have let the peace of God rule in my heart. And it was not long after that, maybe a year or two is when... The Lord, I felt this lack of peace about going to Costa Rica and I had learned a lesson and I said, praise God, I'm not violating this peace and it saved my life. Every person on that plane crashed and burned. So see, that's the flip side of it. If you don't feel peace, don't do it. The Holy Spirit constantly is bearing witness in your heart and it's not always with words. Sometimes it's just that you feel peace about doing something. Other times you don't feel peace about doing something. And most of us will not let our heart rule us. We have gotten to where basically our society thinks that this is silly. This is superstitious. Going on an intuition, on a feeling. And of course there are abuses of this. You can be superstitious. And I'm, not, I'm saying there's a balance to it, but... Our society, we become so sophisticated that we just go by logic and, you know, how dare you sit there and say that you've got a bunion on your toe that doesn't, you know, and this is what you're basing your feelings on is, uh, you know, my bunion's hurting, so this must not be God. This is not what I'm talking about, but I am saying that in your heart, you can feel peace about something. And to me, this is one of the greatest ways of discerning God's leadership. This is very closely related to what I was talking about. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll put a desire in your heart and then you can sit down and you evaluate. Do I feel peace about this? Is this is something that excites me and blesses me? So anyway, this is what I came up to in Colossians 3.15. And I was trying to say, Father, how do I let the peace of God rule in my heart? Because if I make this decision to stay in school, I have zero peace about that. But if I make the decision to quit school, I don't have peace about that either. Because, man, I don't want to go to Vietnam and get killed. Amen. I don't want to lose this money. I don't want to lose the respect and the friendship of everybody. 
And so I was kind of at a stalemate, but I had already said, I'm not going to be in sin tomorrow. I'm going to make a decision today. And so I was forcing myself to just deal with this. And finally, here's the way the Lord put it to me. He said, if somebody put a gun to your head today and cocked the trigger and said, choose right now. And if you don't choose properly, you're going to die. If it, if, you're, if it was a life and death decision, which it really was, because if I got drafted and sent to Vietnam, it could have been death. And if it's a life and death decision, and you've got to choose, which one would you make? Well, I didn't feel total peace in any direction. But if I had to choose under those circumstances, the one I felt the most peace about was quitting school. I felt zero peace about staying in school. I still had questions and some fears and things. But man, there is no question I felt most peace about moving in this direction and feeling like God told me to quit school and just take my chances and whatever came, let it come. And so based on nothing but that, this verse... Just a month after God had touched my life, and I mean, I knew virtually nothing of the word. Based on this, I said, you know what? I feel the most peace about quitting school and just beginning to follow God, do whatever he leads me to do. And I made that decision, and it was a major deal. You know, I look back on this. I was 18 years old. Everybody told me I was of the devil. There was no support from anywhere. I look back at this, and I'm amazed and how I was able to make this decision. But it's because I was so in love with the Lord and so excited about God. I trusted Him so much that, you know what, I wasn't afraid of whatever the consequences would be. And I made that decision and went to bed. And then the next morning, here's another piece of information that will really help you. Because I wasn't confident 100%, and I still had some reservations, rather than just get up and go down and quit school you know, burn my bridges behind me, what I decided to do was to go test this decision by sharing with other people. And I went to the three people who had been the meanest to me. Out of all of the people, I'd been talking for about a month with different people. And I mean, people got on me and said, you are of the devil. I had, actually, I was... Uh, had the um, music director of our Baptist church say, you can't be a Christian and say that God is telling you to quit school. Some of you have a hard time understanding that. But I went to a highbrow Baptist church. We were real close to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and every time we had somebody come fill the pulpit, it was one of the doctors from the cemetery. I mean, seminary. <laughs> and it was a highbrow church. And I mean, education, and it was, it was a proper church. And... They just thought you can't be a Christian and say that God, even if he was calling you into full-time ministry, you would have to go through cemetery first and do all of these things. And so anyway, I had the youth director threaten to vote me out of the church. And he says, I'm going to bring you before the church and we're going to excommunicate you. We're going to take away your church membership. And you know what? I just told him, I said, look, buddy, you've only been here six months. I grew up in this church. I know every person in this church. I said, I dare you. Put it to a vote and you'll get voted out. I just probably wasn't the right way to respond. But anyway, he backed down. But I was threatened to be kicked out of the church. I had some bad things happen. So 
the next day, rather than just going to school and resigning, what I decided to do was go test out my newfound direction. And I went to the three people who had criticized me the most. And one of them was a uh, school teacher. My mother was a school teacher and I knew all of the school teachers. And this lady, Miss Ellis, she was our choir director in high school and she was a Christian lady. She witnessed to us about the Lord and I looked up to her spiritually and I had told her that uh, I felt like I was going to quit school, that God was leading me to quit school. And she, as a friend of my mother, thought she was doing a service to my mother she jumped on me like a chicken on a June bug and told me that is off the devil and this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And she blasted me and told me, how dare you do that? You honor your mother and you stay in school and you do these things. And I mean, she had been vicious to me, mean. She's the first person I went and saw. And I went and visited her and I walked in and I said, Miss Alice, I said, I've made my decision. And she said, what is it? And I said, I'm quitting school. God told me to quit school. And I didn't explain it. I just said it. And I was bracing for her response. And she looked at me and started crying. She said, I'd give anything to be like you. I said, why? And she says, I'm, you know, I, I thought she was ancient at that time. She's probably 50, but I thought she was. Anyway, she was old. And she says, I'm, you know, so many years old and I don't know for sure that I've ever done what God wanted me to do. She says, what a blessing to know that God is leading your life. And she says, would you please pray for me? So I prayed for her and I left there about that high off the ground like, man, awesome. Then I went to two other people who had been really mean to me and it was a similar type of thing. I mean, once I made my decision and said, this is it. God led me to do this. The opposition, it's just like these people. I overwhelmed them with my confidence and security in the Lord. And they, everyone asked me to pray for them. And did you know, after an hour or two, after I got up that morning, I have never, ever, ever in my life had a doubt one that God led me in that decision, that I made the right decision. And sure enough, I got drafted and I got sent to Vietnam. And I lost the government income and I went through some tough times in Vietnam. And you know, but I never one time, never doubted that that was God leading me. And now that I look back on it, you know, at the time I didn't have this perception, but I look back on it. When I went to Vietnam, I was a Baptist. But when I was in Vietnam, I was a chaplain's assistant and I never had a chaplain that was a Christian. They were all drunks. They would get up on the stage with the girls that they brought in and try and have sex with them. One of them stripped and did stuff like that. And those are the chaplains I work for. And so I never went to their chapel services. And you know what I did? I just, I just stuck my nose in the Bible. And for 10 or 15 hours a day for 13 months, I studied the word and I sought the Lord. And when I came out of Vietnam, I wasn't a Baptist anymore. I went back to my Baptist church and they said, man, we don't want you. I found out that my attitude had changed. My values had changed. My theology changed. And I looked back at it and it was wonderful. That was my Bible college. That was my Bush University. 13 months in Southeast Asia studying the word 15 hours a day. God changed my life. And I looked back and it was wonderful. I didn't know any of that when I did it. 
But you know what? It was really a good thing. And God used it in my life. I haven't regretted it a moment. And in retrospect, that is one of the greatest decisions with the worst possible consequences I've ever made in my life. I was 18 years old, one month old in seeking God. And I made one of the best decisions I ever made in my life by just letting the peace of God rule in my heart. And you know what? This is exactly what I'd recommend. If you were trying to follow God's will, this, this not only applies to like your vocation for your whole life, but it's just in every little detail. Does He want you to get on that plane? And pray about it. And if you don't have any peace, don't do it. If you have peace, do it. You know, I basically just let the peace of God rule in my heart and I pray about things and whatever I have the most peace about is the way I decide to do things. The building that we're currently in, I was trying, I bought the building for $3.25 million, which was a huge step for us, but we did it. But we took out a loan to get that building. But then it was just an empty warehouse, 110,000 square feet. And we had to have $3.2 million to be able to renovate it and make a Bible school out of it and do the things that we did. And for nine months, I tried to get that construction loan. And when we bought the building, the same uh, lending place that told us that they would give us the money for the building told us that we would have the construction loan for $3.2 million. They said, it's a package deal. We wouldn't have given you the loan for the building if we weren't going to give you the construction loan. So they guaranteed it. For nine months, I waited and they said, next week you'll get it. Next week you'll get it. Nine months later, after we had been through meeting after meeting after meeting, and they said, next week, next week, next week, for nine months. And we were struggling. We needed to do something. They wouldn't give us the money. And finally, the banker says, why don't we just start the whole process over? Let's get a new... uh, um, appraisal and start the whole process over. And all I could see was another nine months of stuff. And I said, something is not right. And so I started praying and I spent the afternoon praying and I went walking. And anyway, it's a long story. I'll probably share this more as we go through this series. But I, the Lord spoke some things to me and said, I had a prophecy that was given to me about two years before. It says, you aren't going to need to take out a loan because you've already got a bank. And I thought, I do. Where is this bank? And the prophecy went on to say, it's your partners. Your partners are going to finance this. And I somehow or another had just disconnected and hadn't associated the two. And as I was praying about it, the Lord brought that prophecy back to me and he says, your partners are your bank. I don't want you to take out a loan. I'm going to pay for this thing. And you know, Again, I could spend an hour setting this up. Some of you, you know, when you're talking about $3.2 million, it doesn't relate to most people. And you just think big ministries and stuff and you have the money. But at the rate we had been saving money, I sat down and figured it up. At at the rate we had been able to save money, for me to come up with $3.2 million could have been over 100 years of income. And for me to wait a hundred years, I didn't have that much time left in my age, much less the Bible school and ministry. And it was just undoable. If I committed myself to doing it without taking out a loan, then it could kill the ministry. 
if God didn't come through in some big time way. And if I made a decision that we were going to do it without taking it alone, then I wouldn't renege on it. The scripture says that you have to, a godly man will swear to his own hurt and change not. And if I told people that I was going to do it debt free, well, then I'd do it debt free if it took me a hundred years. And so it was another big decision. And you know what I did? Once I felt that and I thought about doing this and just letting my partners help me and pay for this thing debt free. I prayed about it for about a week or two. And basically, I let the peace of God rule in my heart. And you know, I had more peace about just trusting God. Now, I mean, it was a potential train wreck out here. It was like a cliff. It could have killed us. But that's what I had peace about. It made no sense. There was not any physical proof that we could raise $3.2 million in any reasonable amount of time. There was nobody, if you would have looked at our finances, you would have said there's no way. And yet that's what I had peace about. And so we just decided to do it. And did you know 14 months from that decision, we had $3.2 million. We had the building finished. We moved in debt free. It was one of the best decisions I ever made. It went against logic. It was illogical. And yet it worked because that's what I had peace in my heart to do. And you know, every one of you have had this happen to you. You may not know it, but you have. I bet you every person in here at some time or another has had a crossroads, a decision that you have to make. And logic, people told you that you have to go this direction. But you don't feel peace about it. But it just seems like it's the logical way. Everybody is, everybody's counsel has led you in a certain direction. So you go with the counsel and as soon as everything falls apart and it turns out not to be the right thing, I bet you every person in here at some time or another has said, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. There was no reason. There was no logic. There was no facts. It was just a knowing. You just knew that you weren't supposed to do it and yet you did it because it looked like the right thing to do and yet you knew it in your heart. God speaks to us this way. This is how God leads you. If you are seeking Him, He puts His desires in your heart. And then as you consider, how do I accomplish this desire? You just look at your options and the one that you have peace about. You let the peace of God, notice the peace of God, not the peace of the world, you know, the Forgestons are over in India. And I bet you that they had some reservations about moving to a different culture, about how is this going to be financed. I'm not saying that they felt 100% peace. But you know what? They felt more peace about doing that than they did in just staying in some place secure. Judith felt more peace about leaving Switzerland and about the potential of losing a job and stuff. She felt more peace about following God's will and coming to school than she did just staying there. And so she let the peace of God rule in her heart. It led her to her husband. It led her to her ministry. Led her to a place where she said she's more fulfilled, happy than she's ever been. You know how all of that happened? By just seeking God and letting the peace of God rule in your heart. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we made this too hard. It's not difficult to have God lead you. You just love Him with your whole heart. You commit your life unto Him. And when you really delight in the Lord, He'll start putting His desires in your heart. And then as you start moving in that direction, He'll, He'll give you wisdom when you come to a fork in the road. Which way do I go? You just follow the peace that's in your heart. And it's, it's super simple. But you know what? You can't live this way 
if you are just constantly inundated with noise and static and junk from this world. And this is where most of us live. Most of you don't, and I'm not saying this to criticize, I'm just saying it based on dealing with people. Most Christians do not seek God and spend enough time in the presence of the Lord to really feel what's in your heart. You're being led by external things. You're letting life push you along. You're going with the crowd instead of being still and knowing that He's God. Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes you just got to be still to be able to hear your heart. You know, last year I woke up, I had a dream, and in the dream I saw this big banner that said Psalms 46.10. And I have quoted that verse a thousand times, but for the life of me I could not remember what Psalms 46.10 said. So I got up and I opened up my Bible and read it, and it says, Be still and know that I am God. And I read that and thought about it. And I mean, it was so vivid, this dream that I had. I didn't know exactly what being still is, but I decided that that day I was going to physically be still just to see if that was part of it. And I went out and Jamie was in shopping or something and I was at our house and I went outside and sat in a chair and for an hour and a half, I never moved anything but my eyes. I sat exactly still. Just I wanted to see what would happen if I was still. And you know, it's amazing what I observed. When I got totally still, it took me a while, but I mean, after I was totally still, I got to noticing things that I wouldn't have ever noticed. There were thousands of ants everywhere. That they're always there. But I never noticed them until I was still. I got so still that chipmunks came and sat on my foot and I was sitting there and they were coming up and they were sitting on my foot. I had a deer walk by and I mean, I could have spit on that deer. That, I was so still that deer didn't know I was there and it sat and it just looked at me and I was looking at this deer eyeball to eyeball. And you know what? There was, you could hear the wind blowing through the trees. You could hear just different sounds and things and things that were always there that I never noticed because I'm busy and I'm always going somewhere or doing something. You know what? All of a sudden, I just realized things all around me that I didn't realize before. They were always there. But when you're still, you just become aware of things that are there that you don't notice normally. And spiritually speaking, you have to get to a place to where sometimes you're just still. It's where you don't have a tape on or the TV on or listening to music, or doing something. Sometimes you just need to be still. And instead of praying all of the time, I've got friends that when they pray, it's just like a machine gun. It's just, and man, they're just praying 90 to nothing, and they wonder why God never speaks to them. He couldn't get a word in edgewise. You know, you need to do like these two-way radios every once in a while and say, over, and give God a chance to speak. Sometimes you just need to sit and be still. And you know what? If you would be still, you would find out that things that are in your heart, the peace of God, all of a sudden you'd start hearing things. See, this is why lost people are people that aren't really seeking the Lord. This is why they hate being still. Because when they get still, this little homing device that God placed on the inside of every one of us starts going off and starts making you think about what's my life like? 
man, is this all there is to life? And they don't want to be confronted with this and so they drown it out. They always have to have the TV on. They always have to have music on. They always have to do something. They can't be still and just allow their thoughts to start going because they'll lead you to God. Sometimes you just need to be still and find out where, where are you in your heart? Do you have peace about the way your life is going? Is the job that you're doing, is this what you really believe God wants you to do? Is this what you want to do the rest of your life? There's some of you that are so busy, you're on the treadmill and you're trying to keep up the pace that you haven't ever sat down and thought about, is this really what I want? Is this what God wants? There's some of you that it's been years since you've sat down and taken any inventory and looked at anything. You know, you need to sit down and look at your life and look at the options. Look at what your desires are. And then say, Father, what do I really have peace about? Do I want to be like this 20 years from now? Five years from now? Is this where I want to be in my life? Is this what I'm wanting to do? And you need to sit down. And if you don't have peace about it, man, if it doesn't excite you, if it doesn't bless you, if it's not something that you think, yes, this is the way I want my life to go, then you ought to make some changes right now. You shouldn't wait another day. And just like I did, if you aren't absolutely sure, just start testing the waters. You know, if you take a boat and if you push it, then the rudder can steer that thing. But if it's sitting still, you can flip a rudder 360 degrees and it won't give any direction to that boat until you move. If you aren't sure of what God wants you to do, well then sit down, let the peace of God rule in your heart and just start taking small steps in some direction. And if you step out in some direction, then God can begin to bear witness. And all of a sudden, like with me, everything just begins to fall in line. And you think, man, this is God. And it encourages you and it encourages you to go a little faster. Or maybe you'll start in some direction and you say, whoops, that wasn't it. Everything goes wrong. And you say, this is not it. And sometimes the way you discern God's will is by finding out what he doesn't want you to do. You try a number of things and this wasn't it. Man, I used to do all kinds of things. Work in the children's ministry, work in youth ministry. It didn't take me long to figure out that's not it. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes you discover God's will by you just start doing things and then you, you don't feel satisfied. This isn't giving you peace and so you don't go that direction. I know that this isn't deep and most people want something deep. But this is practical. This is something that could change your life. Every person in here could do what I'm talking about. And you could just sit down, be still, let the peace of God rule in your heart. And I believe that probably 50% or more of the people right here would find a major change in the direction of your life if you were just to do that. And just like the Forgestons were giving testimony, you wouldn't regret it. Man, you wouldn't regret it one minute you would be thrilled with the way God would lead your life. Isn't that good? Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So how many of you are going to be still and let God bear witness and give you the... Amen. I hold you to it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you don't know Jesus, we've had a hundred... We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. 
Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.